Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Wednesday, October 5th, live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the show, we have editorial writer and columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, Ramana Hussein. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this More Bad News Wednesday, and here's why. Many, many years ago, uh, I think it was... About 24 years old. This is a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen. I remember watching a TV show, uh, Evening News, with David Brinkley, who had his distinctive style as an old newsman. Probably most of you uh, weren't around to remember or to see him, so you don't remember him. But he talked. He's like David Brinkley with the news, uh, and uh, it was a, a day in which there was like bad weather all over the United States. And he goes, "More weather news. Most of it bad, and just." I was with a friend of mine and that just caught us and we would just like do David Brinkley imitations to each other, more weather news, most of it bad. Anyway, that's how we entertained ourselves uh, back in the late seventies. It was a different time, but I've been thinking about that because uh, all I do is uh, I'm confronted with more weather news, most of it bad throughout the world. Uh, And this has been on my mind because obviously uh, hurricane Ian has, left what the Sun-Times headline here calls a devastating awake uh, in Florida and in South Carolina and horrific photos of people uh, losing their homes, people swimming uh, uh, in uh, neck-high water in their living rooms, uh, yachts. I don't know if you saw this image of all the boats piled on top of each other, just like blown out of the harbor on top of each other, these yachts. Fabulous wealth people have. Uh, they bought the yachts, and now the yachts are just destroyed in a moment's uh, notice. And um, Ron DeSantis, uh, the governor of the uh, state of Florida, is pleading for help. Uh, he wants federal assistance. He wants compassion sent to the people of Florida. And I cannot stop talking about this because I do have compassion for the people of Florida. I have compassion for people who lose their homes. I have compassion for people who see everything they've saved, like all the mementos of their life, their family pictures, their family albums. Like, like I think of all the stuff I have here in my room, like the little papers my daughters wrote when they were in first grade and second grade, how cute they are, and all these photos just to be destroyed, annihilated, wiped out uh, by a flood is horrible by a water, torrential uh, rains from a hurricane, your house blown down, it's horrible, absolutely horrible. And we should have compassion for those people. And I do have compassion for those people. And yet I can't, I cannot overcome this central contradiction. Where is the compassion for everybody else? Ron DeSantis, MAGA party, Republicans. Where is the compassion for the people in the city of Chicago who are under siege? With all the 
the gun deaths, the gun shooting, the carnage here. You only use that as in your campaign ads to like attack Democrats and like fire up people to vote against them. You never like seriously consider the people who need your compassion, need your assistance, need your aid if they look differently or live somewhere else where you don't live or you're trying to motivate, mobilize your voters to fear them. I just like compassion has to go both ways. It was just two weeks ago that Ron DeSantis flew a plane to Texas, piled it with immigrants who were fleeing God only knows what horrors in their home countries to come to the United States, begging the United States for asylum, put in centers while we try to figure out who's next in line to get asylum, like go through all those bureaucratic barriers and obstacles they throw in front of people to keep them from getting asylum in the United States of America. All right. So taking advantage of a manufactured crisis because somehow or other MAGA has turned that moment when people's lives are turned upside down in Venezuela or Central America or Mexico. So they come to the United States. They've turned that into a tool in which to scare the hell out of white people in North Dakota, which is nowhere near the border or Wisconsin or South Dakota. And so knowing that's what it's going to take to keep your quote unquote base fired up you turn a hard heart to people who are every bit in much of dangerous, dire situation as anybody who's lost his or her home in the state of Florida. You turn a hard heart to them. You fly a plane there, woo them into the, lure them into the plane with false promises, fly the plane to Florida. And then fly the plane to Martha's Vineyard to deposit the people so you can embarrass Democrats, liberal Democrats. You flew the plane to Florida so let the world know that you are the one who did it, not Gregory Abbott, because you're in competition with Gregory Abbott to see who could be the bigger jerk. That apparently is what wins over MAGA. And then you fly to Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is, again, nowhere near the border, to brag about it to Wisconsin Republicans. And now you turn around and go, have compassion for us. I'm like, when does compassion become like a tool that's used in political battles? Like you withhold it in some cases, you beg for it in other. Isn't it just like a principle of life that you should like try to obtain? Isn't it just like a, a goal that you have? Like I'm going to be a compassionate person for all people. One last thought, a story broke today. Uh, it was talking about uh, the impacts of climate change in the world and uh, with all the uh, changes in the weather patterns, ferocious hurricanes, flooding, torrential downpours. Uh, Pakistan right now, I believe, is under about, I think about a third of the country is underwater. And here is a story uh, in uh, today's Chicago Tribune. It's an AP story. Uh, quote, the recent flooding in Pakistan after an unprecedented monsoon season offers a stark example of climate change. The country was already seeing rises in cholera caused by the bacterium Vibrio, which contaminates water sources. Floods have since disrupted vaccination, medical care, and disease monitoring strategies essential to controlling the outbreak. Where large bodies of water stagnate, 
mosquitoes that harbor viruses and other parasites such as malaria are proliferating and transmitting them to people. The looming health crisis of waterborne disease in Pakistan is feared to become worse in the weeks ahead. We've brought this on to a certain degree, people, by our just inability to recognize that climate change is a very real thing. It's like freaking destroying our lives. So we pretend it doesn't exist. And then when we see examples that it does exist, we either turn our heads and pretend it's not happening, like in Pakistan, or in the case of Florida, say, please send us money, send us aid, show us compassion. Oh, and by the way, don't you dare politicize this, quote unquote, by talking about climate change. I don't know, MAGA. I really think it's time you took a look in the mirror. All right, let's uh, bring on my guest, Ramana Hussein, dear friend of the show, editorial writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, regular visit, visitor to my humble podcast. Uh, and Ramana, uh, I had, you were the one uh, about two weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago, I can't remember when we had the conversation, uh, that introduced me to the notion hadn't even thought about it, that there is a double standard when it comes to climate change, flooding, uh, when it comes to Pakistan and it comes to the United States. And boy, it's really obvious uh, this current week. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I was, my, you know, you know, I wrote a column on this uh, maybe two weeks ago and my point was, I guess I was juxtaposing it with um, all the coverage that we're getting on Queen Elizabeth which I'm not saying that Queen Elizabeth doesn't deserve um, the attention. Um, she deserves some attention, but you know, meanwhile, Pakistan is um, underwater, and I I felt like at least locally, I did not see that much news about what was happening overseas. And you know, we talk about whenever there's um, something that happens overseas in terms of a terrorist attack, I always tell people like. Okay, if it's in Europe, we're going to talk about it forever. But whenever it's a, a country where a lot of people are brown or black or countries where people don't see as European, it's like there's barely any discussion. There's barely any blip. Um, I think the same thing when it comes to disasters. It's if it's in a country where there's mostly brown and black people just radio silence, even from the people who are harping about environmentalism all the time, people who are complaining about plastic straws here, complaining about plastic forks. It's like, I don't hear any of them talking about the disaster that's happening in Pakistan. And one thing that I I do point out to people, especially to people who pay attention to this stuff, is that the climate change um, is caused by the greenhouse gases. That's why um, there is this flooding in Pakistan. And I shouldn't say that's the only reason. They said flooding was bad, but they said if it wasn't for climate change, it wouldn't be as bad as it was. And in terms of greenhouse gases emissions, um, our countries like ours are one of the biggest culprits. Countries like Pakistan is only um, probably responsible for 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions that made these floods worse. So we're all responsible at the end of the day. And it's just interesting how... You know, people who talk about climate change, people who talk about saving the environment, it's like there was barely any discussion. And, you know, I talked to a professor about um, the climate change and I asked him if he thinks that it's not getting much attention, the flooding in Pakistan, as it should in the uh, United States. 
And he was saying that, um, you know, as he's someone that pays attention to it. So he was paying attention. And I'm not saying it's not covered by the news, but it's just where these news stories get placed. Like this is not front page news. And I, I, I guarantee you, like if this happened in Paris, if this happened in France, this would be all over the news. But because it's Pakistan, nobody really cares. You know, it's and I'm not saying nobody cares. You know, there are there is people sending aid. But I think so far the aid that's being sent is kind of a joke. I think more needs to be sent. I think the new UN general secretary general even said that countries like ours owe Pakistan for the climate change disaster that's happened there right now. And so it's it's just something that I think we need to pay attention to more. And I'm not I'm not like pointing the finger at anyone, but I did think it was ironic that, you know, the Queen of England, um, you know, it's like she's getting so much attention. Um, she's a 96 year old woman that was born into royalty. And like I said, I'm not saying her death isn't newsworthy, but we didn't need new, we didn't need cover to cover, like, you know, minute by minute, like her casket's going here, her casket's going there. And meanwhile, there's like people dying in, in like, in like this huge natural, national, um, you know, natural disaster. And, and nobody's, Barely anybody's paying attention. I bet if I told you and I walked up to the average Chicagoan um, and I asked him what's happened in Pakistan, they probably would not know. Or they would say something like, oh, was, was there terrorists like that went out, you know, went out of control or something like that. So I just think it's sad. And it just it just is a testament to what we pay attention, what we don't pay attention to and what we choose to pay attention to when we want to, when it you know suits our needs and how you're saying about what's happening in Florida. I mean, it's terrible. I, I have family friends who live in Tampa and my mom had called them and they're okay, but you know, I don't want anybody to lose their homes. I mean, what a nightmare. And so far, you know, luckily I don't know anybody in Florida who has lost their home so far, but we know people have, and there's been lives that are lost and it's very sad and unfortunate. And then, you know, we have someone like Ron DeSantis who's always going after Biden, you know, going after things like um, critical race theory and, you know, you know, sending like the migrants to, you know, other places like, you know, using human beings as pawns for, you know, your political games. And meanwhile, you're, you know, you're seeing that there's a disaster in your own state and all of a sudden you're like, oh, we need help. And, and you know, I don't think people in the United States are going to deny people in Florida help, but just to act like, you know, just to all of a sudden be a sympathetic human being when it affects you is it just shows you what kind of person you are. I mean, have sympathy for other people who may be having the same sort of problems. And maybe just because they're not from Florida doesn't mean they deserve empathy or sympathy. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, I mean, we're all human beings uh, and we have inside of ourselves like grievances and gripes and biases and prejudices. Uh, and so I know I have tremendous grievances and gripes about Ron DeSantis because I think um, that he has been a very cruel leader of his state and his party. And he goes back this way when he was a congressman and he voted against aid to people in uh, New Jersey when they were hit by Sandy, Hurricane Sandy, and he sneered at them. And so, you know what? I under, I, I don't want to say, oh, you know, come right back. Oh, look who's crying now. Because that's not, 
even though that's a natural reaction, you, you got to be like a saint not to have that reaction, Ramana. It's not a healthy reaction. Do you follow what I'm saying? Then I'm being as twisted and weird and as Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. But I just need to know, like, when is the other side, politically speaking, going to show some p- compassion? I mean, we can talk about here and now. They, they never show anything but contempt. No, well, I, I, I've told you how I feel about, you know, a lot of people giving Donald Trump supporters the benefit of the doubt. And they're like, oh, you know, let's all feel sorry for them because, you know, they, they're misunderstood. They don't understand, you know, people of color. They've never lived with people of color. So you have to understand where they're coming from. And I'm like, well, when are they going to show compassion for anyone? And I, I just, I, I'm just tired of like, you know, I try to be a nice person to everyone, but I just think it's unfair that certain groups of people in this country, particularly when it comes to white working class that has, who have like views that are totally abhorrent, like they're given a pass for their abhorrent views while the rest of us have to be like model citizens. I mean, I'm suspect just because of the color of my skin for a lot of people or because of my name. But meanwhile, like these individuals, you know, they could say the most horrible things in the world and everybody has to be like, well, let's understand where they're coming from. Let's try to understand them. And I, I, I'm telling you from day one, I'm, I'm, I'm just so tired of trying to understand people who are bigots. Why do I have to try to understand them? Why don't they try to understand me? And I felt like this from day one. And I've seen this over and over again with people treating Trump supporters like they're little babies. And, you know, they're so they're so innocent. You know, you should understand that this is, you know, they behave this way because of X, Y and Z. And I'm like, well, give the same, you know, give the same treatment to other people when they, you know, say something crazy. You know, I don't I don't see the same treatment to other people. And I, I think it's white privilege. I mean, white other white people, white people look at other white people and they see their grandma or their uncle and they're like, oh, you know, he's still a nice guy. I mean, that's something I hear constantly from white people when it comes to Trump supporters and their Trump supporting families. They're like, oh, you know, but they're a nice guy. Trust me, if I had a relative and they said the same thing, these same white people would not call him, call him a white guy. They would call like Homeland Security on him. So I, I'm just saying it's it's just it it just it it frustrates me because I'm just tired of people who hold you know abhorrent views to be treated like they're such great people. I'm just tired of it, and it's like and and it's like I'm not giving like I said the color of my skin. Like I'm just automatically suspect. But these individuals have to prove that they're horrible people. Like they have to do like a hundred different things before someone says, "Yeah, they're horrible people." But they're always described as nice people. And it's just, I don't know. I'm just saying, just as a person of color, I've noticed this by white people, even white liberals. And it's just, it's just mind boggling. They, they, they'll like vilify other people, but not their Trump supporting white people at all. Oh, listen, man, I feel your pain. I'm going to give a local example, uh, having to do, uh, with, uh, a very well-known journalist in the city of Chicago named John Cass. And for years and years and years, uh, he was the premier columnist uh, in the Chicago Tribune, page two. And he was writing what I consider Drek. I don't know the guy. I met him briefly like many, many years ago, but I do not know I, I almost worked for him. I know what you're going to yeah. say about him, but yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say it. So whenever I be like railing, oh my God, did you see that piece of beep? 
column by John Cass. Some Chicago journalist would tell me, you know, Benny's really a nice guy. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, wait, what's the point? It's, I have to say. I feel your. <laughs> Go I ahead. I, I have. Uh, John Cass was very nice to me, but I, I haven't had a real discussion with him about his views since then. And I actually, you know, I have to tell you, I almost worked for John Cass. I interviewed with him. This is like years ago before he, um, I, and this is before he was, a, you know, drank the Trump Kool-Aid. Like, you know, he was less, less, less conservative than he is now. But I remember I did tell him when I went in for the interview that I don't agree with a lot of things you say. I'm just letting you know. And he kind of laughed. And um, I don't know. He's 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 been super nice to me ever since. But he knows how I feel. And I saw him recently at a colleague's um, husband's funeral. And, and I said hi to him. But you could tell everybody was just kind of like uncomfortable by the whole situation. I think... I think he's lost a lot of people who thought he was nice, but I know what you're saying. I totally know what you're saying. It's like, I, I, there was a right wing uh, columnist at the sun times. And he said abhorrent things about Muslim people all the time. And everybody around me would be like, Oh, but he's so nice. I'm like, yeah, but he's saying stuff about Muslims. You know what I mean? And he's saying stuff about Obama that are totally false. And it was just like, you can't, you know, I, I, at a certain point, you're not a nice person. You know what I mean? You're not a nice person. And, you know, you're just someone that's able to pass because you're a white person. That's what I think. I mean, it's white privilege, 100%. And I've seen this time and time again. Like I told you, it's I, I see white liberals doing this all the time. They, they, um, they come up excuses for Trump supporters that look like them. And, and I don't think other people would be given the same pass if they held the same views. That's just my personal No, if you had a, a, a calm, uh, I, I just can't even imagine. It's just such an unimaginable thing. But if you had uh, a black columnist uh, who wrote the kind of columns that Cass writes only in reverse, I mean, what do you care if he was nice? If he held the door open for you or something, or said, hello, Ramana, how's your day today? You know, I mean, like, what do you expect him to do? Like, I almost would appreciate it if he was mean and nasty. You know, then then the behavior would at least it'd be there could be consistency. All right, you're putting toxins and poison out of the atmosphere, like polluting like mankind here in Chicago, making it that much more difficult for black people and white people to get along. Okay. And so at least if you were just an out-and-out, out, snarling, mean, venomous creature that went along with that, they go, you know what? At least you're consistent. But no, when you're like, hi, how are you today, Mrs. Cleaver? <laughs> you know, how are things today? You're like, what's the old boy's name for Leave it to Beaver? Um, that was, uh, God, what was uh, Eddie Haskell. Haskell. Eddie Haskell. You're like a real, like, diseased Eddie Haskell. Oh, I'm really nice. Let me help you with your groceries, Romana, and help yeah. open the door. Yeah, for I you. actually, I actually think that's worse. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, you know, when we talk about racism, I, I, I'm more afraid of the people that are polite racist than the ones who are like, you know, wearing the KKK like, you know, robe, because at least I know, you know, that they're where they're coming from. Like the polite racists, I just see them and I'm like, and they'll say things like, you know, they'll they'll be all nice and like, you know. But when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to saying something crazy, they'll can it just comes out of their mouth, and everybody's just like, "Oh, they're a nice guy," and you know, they get a, they that's how they live their life as a nice guy, and they get you know, 
there's that's just how it is. So yeah, don't get me started on it, Ben. You got me started and all right, that's good. I like it. You started. Wait a minute, hold it. I wasn't planning to ask you about this. I, I don't think I asked you about this already, but I did send you, I think, the clip uh from a while back. Uh I've asked so many of my guests this. So I'm gonna have to ask you because I'm, I'm this is like a mini obsession of mine. Um, so I sent you the clip, I'm pretty sure, of and this gets into the issue you just raised between the difference between polite racist and out and out racist. So the MAGA man in line, all in red, MAGA man in red. I've been obsessively talking about it. Uh, DL Hewley, shout out. He was the one who posted it. That's where I saw it on Instagram. Uh, the man's waiting in line. He's wearing a Ron DeSantis hat, uh, waiting in line to see Donald Trump in, in his bizarro appearance in Pennsylvania about a week ago, which was really trippy. Uh, and Across the street, unseen on the camera, are apparently, uh, I guess they were KKK people or white supremacists passing out this literature. And this MAGA man in red went, was really upset. He goes, you give us a bad name. CNN would put you on. How, you know, and then he was like dropping the F-bomb left and right, saying, I wish I could come over there and, you know, I'd take a swing at you, but the cops are here. You would beat me up because there's more of you, but some of you would go down and, and you go, yeah. And the other, and his partner's like, yeah, you just hate black people. You just hate Mexican people. I'm like, you guys are standing in a, hello, a Trump line, <laughs> MAGA man. I'm like, Ramon, I need help. I've been turning to everybody. Help me. Like what are Trump people? What's going on here? Do they not want to be viewed as racist? Like Trump people don't want to be viewed as racist. If you don't want to be viewed as racist, don't wear Trump paraphernalia and stay in line to hear Donald Trump. Help me, Ramon. I, uh, I, I can't help you there. That's why I, I don't know if you read the comments when because I, I did get you did send me the clip and I read I saw it and I was just, I was confused for a while. I was like, wait, I don't get that. The the Trump guy is telling another Trump person to like giving him a bad name. And I guess I mean. You know, somebody always tells me, like, you know, people always tell me these are usually white people. They're not all Trump supporters are racist. And that could be true. But a lot of their a lot of policies and a lot of things that Trump says are very racist. So I don't understand. And, you know, obviously, there's a lot of people of color who support Trump. And, you know, his, you know, the polls show that more people of color voted for Trump the second time than the first time, which I just find find insane. Uh but I guess I guess this guy was a Trump supporter with morals. I don't know. It just made me laugh because the comments people are just like, uh, it's like the the pot cutting calling the kettle black, and they're like, is this guy looking in the mirror and shouting at himself? Like they, they were just the comment. The commentary was really funny. It, it it was just bizarre. I mean, okay, if you're not a Trump, you know, there's there's people who say that they're. They support Trump, but they don't like what he they, they're like, they'll vote for Trump, but they don't like what he represents. And and I'm like, but what do you like about him? You know, the whole the whole argument is like a lot of people are like, oh, he's good for business or and I just don't see any redeeming value in in, you know, so it's like I don't get people who say they're not racist, but then they vote for Trump. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm generalizing, but when I hear of a Trump supporter, I automatically think racist. And if it's a person, and if it's a person of color, I'm just like you're confused. And I've told people who are you know supportive of Trump because there's some people of color. I know some people, some South Asians, who say that he's good for business and he voted for Trump. And I'm just like, I I don't know how to help you. You're just a sellout. You know, I don't know how you could sell 
how someone, um, how you could vote for someone who put out the Muslim ban. I mean, they're just basically, you know, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know how any person of color could support Trump, including people who are South Asian. All right, we're, we're good. That's a perfect segue uh, into what I want to raise now. But I just want to finish the line that it's always used. Uh, so the line is generally uh, not all Trump supporters, I'll use your word, are racist, but all racists are Trump supporters. So that's the line. Or you could say not all Trump supporters are Nazis, but all Nazis are Trump supporters. In other words, Trump lets it be known we're where he stands uh, and that worldview uh, is very appealing to people of the white racist, white supremacist, Nazi persuasion. It's just a fact, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know any Nazis who voted for Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden. In fact, I don't know any Nazis anyway. Uh, so I, guess, I can't really say that uh, I have proof that all Nazis voted for Trump. But my guess is they did. All right. Uh, so you raised the topic. I'm going to take it to the next uh, level. You said uh, people of color who support Trump. Uh, and that brings me to Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah, that is governor. true. There are there are there are a segment of my uh, population from who are brown, who are definitely Trump supporters. They're basically yeah, yeah I, they're they're definitely out there. So. All right. We have to discuss Nikki Haley. And I need your thoughts on this. I need your help once more time. I turned for you for guidance. I already turned for you to guidance for, about the guy in red. Uh, I turned for, to you for guidance for Ron DeSantis. Now you have to explain uh, Nikki Haley to me. Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, uh, was a Trump appointee. I believe uh, she was our ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, I get fundraising appeals from Nikki Haley, uh, email fundraising appeals from her, Romana. I would say at least one a day. Okay. So she's constantly shaking me down uh, for money. I know I'm not alone. Uh, so obviously she's looking to run for higher office. She probably wants to be uh, run for president someday or be a vice presidential uh, candidate. So as such, she's positioning herself as a victim. This is the, the tone and tenor of her email appeals is that because she is a conservative a woman of color. Uh, people pick on her. They say mean, nasty things about her. They don't have an open mind to her. They're intolerant to her. She's the victim. And people like you, Romana, are the bullies. Uh, I get that. I think I may have forwarded you one of her fundraising appeals. And if I did, I humbly apologize for cluttering uh, your email uh, with the kind of stuff I get all the time. So what's your response to Nikki Haley when she says people like you are bullies picking on her? Does she mean people like me? Because my name, I don't call myself Ricky instead of Romana. Um, <laughs> so um, she was, I think a lot of times people of color who decide to um, support right-wing causes or support causes that I don't necessarily believe in. And this is something that you see with um, right-wing Indians too. These are right-wing Indians who are supporting um, the right-wing government in India. They use this playbook that they're being, um, they are the victims in this. And they use this to their advantage because um, someone like a right-wing, a white right-wing Republican is going to see someone like Nikki Haley and it's great. You know, they look at her and they're like, oh, she's like 
you know, she says the things that we want to say, but we can't say it. But when she says it, it makes it better. And then, you know, she, they, the whole, you know, oh, she's a woman of color. Then she becomes this like great woman of color. And a lot of people who are people of color who are on the right, at least with Indians, it's, it's like, they are ashamed to be Indian. A lot of the cases, like a lot of us who are Indian know when we see that kind of personality trait. And a lot of these right-wing Indians, not all of them, these are the right-wing Indians who support the um, government in America, the right-wing government in America. They're usually sellouts. That's what we, you know, you look at someone like a Bobby Jindal and, you know, I remember he would say something like, oh, we never, we grew up never eating Indian food. The guy's like my age. I'm like, there's no way your parents didn't make Indian food. Our parents were looking for places and they would look, go to every single grocery store in the country, in the world or in the city to look for Indian stuff to cook. I, I just don't believe it. You know, and he said stuff like, oh, you know, I always wore cowboy boots. And I'm not saying he couldn't wear cowboy boots, but I'm like, you did not dress like that. I think he told people when he was campaigning, like he told his family, friends not to show up wearing Indian clothes. And anybody who knows South Asians, we wear our tradition, you know, our traditional ethnic wear all the time. So I don't know. You look at someone like Nikki Haley and you're just like, give me a break. Stop, you know, stop using yourself as a victim because you, you're looking at other people of color and are not treating them as victims when they are victims themselves. And we saw this debate with Nikki Haley. I guess, I guess, so she was, she was discussed about on The View. I don't know. She wasn't on The View, right? I think she was just discussed about. And one of the, um, the co-hosts um, named Sunny, um, a black woman, I believe, um, I, uh, she's not a black woman. Um, so uh, she, um, her name is Sunny Hoiston and uh, her real name isn't Sunny. And she said something about Nikki Haley, not using her Indian name, but Nikki to um, be more appealing to white voters. And um, Nikki Haley says, oh, you know, this is like someone going after me because I'm Indian or because I'm a person of color. And she goes, by the way, Sonny, your real name isn't that. Or, and then she said what her real name is. She goes, why, why do you go by that name? I have to tell you, first of all, most South Asians do have nicknames. A lot of us have nicknames. Um, my mom never gave me a nickname. Like my older sister, her nickname is Ruby and nobody knows her as by her real name. But, you know, my mom's name is Jahanara and everybody in India calls her Jenny, but nobody here calls her that. You know what I mean? So people have nicknames and some of them are Indian. Some of them kind of sound Western. They're just like nicknames of the person's the kind of shortened versions of their real name. So Nikki Haley's parents might have called her Nikki. But at the same time, um, a lot of people of color in this day and age, we kind of get offended when people kind of shorten their names or kind of whitewash their names to make it more easier for um other people to pronounce their names so um i know we were talking about that show mo um a few weeks ago and a lot of people so mo is short for muhammad and a lot of people always whenever someone uses that name everybody's like oh god he's one of those he doesn't want to say his name is muhammad so you know what i mean it's it's kind of funny so i i remember one time this guy um he was a mechanic and i thought he was italian and he gave me his card and it said mo and um, I had a flat tire, so I had to fix it. And I looked at it and I'm like, is your name Muhammad? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and I told him, I'm like, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to go by Mo anymore. It's like, this is 20, this is like 2020 at the time. I was kind of annoyed. And, and you know, people did this a lot. And I'm sure, you know, as, as a Jewish man, you know that um, a lot of actors in, in the olden days, 
would not go by their Jewish names. Like they would change their names. So they made them more appealing to like, you know, widespread American audiences. And it would kind of, their, their ethnic names were kind of taken away and they were given these more American names. So I don't know. I feel like in 2022, you don't have to do that. Like, I mean, I guess people would tell me if I was running for president, nobody would vote for me, which is fine. But look, Barack Obama won. His middle name is Hussein. And yeah, he got accused, you know, I put that in quotes of being a Muslim, but hey, the guy won presidency and yeah, you have to hand it to him. He won with his name and he won with, he won going by Barack instead of Barry, which I thought was pretty cool. So, hey, it can be done, right? So I don't know, Nikki Haley, she's one of those Indians that um, there's a, there's this um, website that calls, uh, it says the Desi Hall of Fames and Nikki Haley's on it. I mean, the Desi Hall of Shame, I should say that. And she's she's one of the Indians, um, right-wing Indians that's on that list. A lot of Indian people don't want to align themselves with her. And one thing I should tell you is that Donald Trump, out of all um, people of color, like the biggest group, biggest group representation in Trump's White House were Indian Americans. I have to tell is you that. Is that right? Yeah, he, that's the largest group. He had a lot of Indian Americans in his cabinet. Wait, say that again. The largest. So of all of, the like the largest minority group, the largest representation in the Trump administration were South Asians, Indians. I see. There's no way wow. you would have okay. a Pakistan. No, no Muslims. I could tell you that, but they were they were all um, South Asians who are not. Uh, just brief points. Sunny of uh, the View. I believe her father is African American and her mother is Puerto Rican. Oh, okay, so she was bi- biracial. Uh, so, Sorry. Yeah, biracial. Uh, and uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, and Nikki, uh, power, oh my God, I got about f- at least five fundraising p- appeals about that. They're picking on me on The View. This is outrageous. I get the same kind of thing uh, from Tim Scott, who is uh, a senator from South Carolina, uh, a, a black man and a Republican. Uh, and whenever anybody somewhere uh, calls him out for um, you know, supporting Trump or MAGA, it, despite what it does, uh, what the, the policies of Trump and MAGA do to black people, uh, he's always go. They always call me an Uncle Tom, and it's so unfair when you're just a. It's the same. It's the same Mickey thing. But I mean, uh, what do you expect? You know what I mean? I don't know. I'm just. I don't know. I, I I mean, I'm not going to be the one to use Uncle Tom, but I do it with my people in my community. I'm not going to say it to someone in the black community, but um, I say it to um, South Asians all the time. I, I call them whitewashed or sellouts, you know, um, all the time. We call them, and you know, the funny thing is like, you know, we call, you know, or we call our elders um, auntie and uncle. So like people will go, people, I think one comedian, Indian comedian said, hey, when we call Bobby Jindal uncle, <laughs> it's not it's not out of respect who said that That's it was this, it, it, it's this one um actor uh one comedian um his name i think is uh i think it's hari gandabalu who's really funny um yeah, he's I, a funny man yeah he, yeah he had he had a whole twitter thread of like you know bobby jindal's so white and and they were so funny they're like funny they're like things that bobby jindal does that are so white that white that in, he does things that indian people don't do like one of the jokes is like Indian people, like we always use like yogurt containers to like 
store other kinds of food. And then he's, he had, he had a, a joke, like Bobby Jindal is so white, his yogurt container actually contained yogurt, you know, stuff like that. So, <laughs> oh. yeah. uh. so you gotta look, you said so the funny thing is like a lot of um, non Indians <laughs> they think that we're all like supportive of all Indians. And if we're not right wing, we do not support right wing Indians and we make fun of them. And the jokes, a lot of them go over a lot of white people's heads, but we make, we definitely make fun of, um, the Nikki Haley's and the Bobby Jim dolls. I can tell you that. Well, for the record, uh, and I'm reading now a direct quote of, from a text from Ramana Hussein. I hope she doesn't get upset with me for doing this. When I uh, introduced the topic of Nikki uh, versus Sonny, uh, this is a response from Ramana Hussein. I quote, I am on team Sonny. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am. I'm on team. Sure. I'm with you, Ramon. I'm on team Sunny too. Yeah. And you can, and you uh, know, the funny thing is, the funny thing is I do have a relative in India. I have two cousins nicknamed Sunny. Their nicknames are Sunny. One's a, one's a woman and one is like one of my cousin's um, son and his nickname is Sunny. So I'm just, I, I'm just I, saying the nicknames are all there, but. I, I got to tell you though, uh, when you were talking about uh, Jewish people change their name, I was smiling because there's like a favorite parlor game of Jews. I'm going to give you the inner secrets here, uh, Romana, is to tell each other like who's Jewish. So I have a, a, a dear friend's mixed marriage, Jewish wife, uh, Gentile husband. Okay. I'm not going to give their names out. There's some of my best friends. I love them dearly. Uh, and so when I go over there, uh, to watch a football game or something, the wife will come in and go, Benny, Benny. Everybody calls me Benny. Benny, Benny, did you know blah, blah, blah? And, he, and he's Jewish. And then the husband's like, I am so sick. Not everyone. you know. <laughs> but it's it's like, that's like a Jewish thing. You know what I mean? Like, this one's Jewish. Did you know this one's Jewish? Oh, we're, so, I, you, I, I mean, Muslims are like that, too. I mean, we get excited. Well, we get excited when anybody's South Asian or Muslim. We're like, oh, did you know he was Muslim or his mom's Muslim? You know, we get we get excited. And there's more of those, you know, than before. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, years ago that was really rare. But I'm sure you guys, I'm sure the Jewish community does that now. I mean. Oh, my God. And But then there's the other side. Like, when a Jew does something bad. And then it's sort of like, oh, God, he's Jewish. I know. Well, why? We're all going to get blamed now. We're all, they're going to blame us all, you know? And then, right, well, you killed Christ. That's coming out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Muslims, uh, Muslims yeah. do the same thing. I mean, we whenever there's a crime committed and we're like, oh, no, please don't be Muslim. And then we're just yeah. like, when it is, we're like, oh, you know, then we'll get the text messages. They're like, oh, shit, he's Muslim. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, no, I know I how it feels. I, I know. Uh, we know the feeling. But the thing about names, I should do a newsletter about this because you just triggered so many thoughts when you did that riff. It was a very funny riff. Uh, but I, I uh, grew up, I, th I know I told you this, uh, in Rhode Island. And um, I had a very, I was a very unusual person with my background, just to put it mildly, for the community I was living in. It was almost all Catholics, uh, Italians and Irish. And uh, no one had a name even remotely like mine. And so there's that moment of dread that began in kindergarten and went all the way. I mean, really went all the way through high school where a teacher is reading the role at the start of the year and they'll go, uh, Ben. And I'm like, just say jur, just say jur, just, yeah, it's me. Okay, move on. Oh, South Asians and or uh, Muslims or and anybody else with, you know, ethnic sounding names, we all 
we all knew whenever and the teacher was like coming upon our name where it's like, okay, you hesitate. And then <laughs> the hesitation. they're just like, and then, you know, a sub would come, you know, the teacher would finally get used to your name. And then when there's a substitute, you're like, oh, great. They're going to like honor <laughs> my name. And yeah. Oh, no, you should you should write about it for sure. Because I, I mean, there's so many actors that I knew, like, you know, olden time actors and, you know, from the olden days, I guess, like, you know, black and white era. Like there were so many Jewish actors and people would just change their names. And, yeah. you know, it, By the way, I have no problem. I have no problem with people changing their name. Like Robert Zimmerman became Bob Dylan. I do. And I do. Y- you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, I do like to some extent because it's like, I don't know, problem. at least for people of color, I don't know. It's just like, why do you have to do that? Like what, like, I don't know. It might be different with Jewish people, but with like South Asians and other people of color, like who have, you know, ethnic sounding names, it does kind of like whenever we hear of someone like changing their name, everybody just kind of gets... Yeah. Get, but I mean, it works in reverse. Like, like everybody think of Cassius kind of, Clay. Yeah. He turned his name to Muhammad Ali and then people wouldn't recognize him as Muhammad Ali. And I never understood that. That's he wants to be known as Muhammad Ali. Bob Dylan wants to be known as Bob Dylan. Yeah, I mean, why can't okay, we respect that? Di- I, I, Bob Dylan, Muhammad Ali is different. Like I, I'm, I'm going to respect Muhammad Ali's right to change his name, especially if he's coming on our team. That's fine. But, <laughs> um, but like there's something, <laughs> there's just some people like, Okay, like if there's an Indian person with a really waspy sounding name, everybody's just like, oh my God. There was this one guy, like this is years ago, this is the 90s, and this guy was running. He was a South Asian man, um, and you know, he was older. He was like from my dad's generation, and he changed his first name to Bush. And you know, of course, that made me and my siblings crack up because we're <laughs> like, okay, Bush, like that has a lot of connotations. It's not his last name. And this guy thought he was going to get votes because he changed his name to Bush. And my dad's like, I'm not voting for anyone who changes their names. Like, that's enough for me to not want to vote for someone like that. And people feel the same way about Bobby Jindal. Like, Bobby Jindal was not his name. And, yeah, he has a right to convert to Christianity and change his name to Bobby from an Indian-sounding name. But it's just a little different, I think, when it comes to people of color. When they're trying to – you know, Muhammad Ali was sounding more ethnic – but when a uh, when a person of color or an immigrant tries to change their name into something that's more palatable to like the quote unquote larger mainstream white society, it kind of triggers most of the community to think that they're sellouts. That's just no. that's what it is. I, I hear you, and I uh, I know a lot of. Uh... Uh, Jewish people like to jokingly call Bob Dylan Robert Zimmerman at every uh, step they can. Uh, but my attitude is it's your identity. Yeah. And I if agree. You, if, I, I mean, yeah. I never would never, I never would go out of my way to call someone the wrong name if they don't want to be called that. I, I try to be respectful and I call that person their name. But I have to tell you if my younger sister, Omas, or my older sister, Samina, say, hey, call me Jessica <laughs> or Jill. I I would have a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, why? I'd be like, what's wrong with you? But you know, if it made him happy, I think I'd call him that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's it's a it's a very it's I I'll, maybe I'll write a column about that one day, Ben, and I'll disagree with you. And and uh, I'll tell you what, I'll write the newsletter. I'll write my column, send it to you, and then it'll be point counterpoint, and then you could feel free to rip rip it. Just spell the name right, okay? Uh, and uh, just kidding. Uh, all right. Um, 
we're almost at the end of our time, and I, I have to ask you your thoughts uh, about, before we get to Ramada's recommendation, I have to ask your thoughts. This one I've been talking so much about. Uh, Darren Bailey, the Republican candidate uh, for governor of Illinois, a MAGA man to the core, uh, is running away uh, as much as he can from all his MAGA beliefs. So he uh, came before the Tribune editorial board, and even though he's a vehement, virulent, anti uh abortionist uh i like saying calling him an anti-abortionist like he does abortions uh even though that's his where he comes from he made it clear he uh, said that uh abortion was what the was worse than what hitler tried to do to the jews was one of the most offensive things i think he could uh, possibly say he's now trying to tell the tribune uh, and tell swing voters, oh, don't worry, I'm not, the law exists, uh, it doesn't matter, I'm, uh, it's really irrelevant. Well, voters are dumb enough to fall for anything if they uh, fall for that. Uh, on the course of Chicago, uh, he rose to fame to a large degree by bro boldly and proudly calling Chicago a hellhole. Uh, and uh, he's got his allies running commercials on TV uh, that show crimes on the subway usually a black person committing a crime against a white person. Uh, and then there's a picture of J.B. Pritzker as though somehow or other it's J.B. Pritzker's fault. And then Lori Lightfoot, they throw Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot's not a candidate. She has nothing to do with the gubernatorial race. They just put her in there, in my opinion, because she's a black woman. And just, a little bit, just to make sure this message gets through. Uh, so anyway. I'm surprised they didn't throw Kim Fox in there for good measure too. I, I, I'm surprised too, because usually it, that's, she gets thrown into, I guess they figured that people forgot who she is. Uh, so they're just going to concentrate on Lori life. They're under, they're over, they don't want to over, uh, estimate the intelligence of their voters anyway. So, uh, he lately said he, uh, upgraded Chicago, uh, from a hellhole uh, to, uh, an unruly child. That's what he called it in the Chicago Tribune. And the editorial board members, uh, I guess, of the Tribune being right-wingers, uh, were happy with that. Uh, your thoughts on the quote-unquote upgrade from Chicago as a hellhole to Chicago as a place filled uh, as an unruly child? Who's, who's the um, parent of this unruly child? That's what I'd like to ask. He is. He acts like he's the parent. Daddy, so, da Darry, Daddy Darren. He probably he probably gave an upgrade after living at the Hancock building. And I don't know if you saw like I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but he took a he was on a boat the other day and he, he had all these pictures of the skyline, the beautiful skyline, and he was just enjoying Chicago, which is so maybe that's what prompted his upgrade. He's like, Well, it's not that bad. It's an unruly child. Maybe next time you see him talk, it will be, um, he'll actually call it a city of Chicago or my kind of town. I don't know. You know, it's, I don't know. He's probably just, he's just trying to appeal to, I think, um, you know, mainstream Republicans who might've before said that he was a little too way out there. Um, I'm working on an editorial right now about um, unfounded claims and letters that have been sent to election officials here in Chicago. And they echo the uh, challenges that are, um, they're, they're a little different than the challenges to voter registration ballots that we're seeing in a lot of swing states. But these letters are being sent all around the country to election officials where they're threatening um, to sue these, you know, elected, you know, officials or officials who run the elections and saying, you know, calling, talking about widespread voter fraud. 
And Darren Bailey says that he accepts that Joe Biden won the election, but he keeps talking about election fraud. So I think similar to the way he's calling Chicago an, an unruly child he, and not calling it a hellhole, it's similar to the playbook that he's, you know, kind of laying out there right now. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm denouncing this, but I still hold on to this. So it's kind of like he's having his cake and he's eating it too. He's not calling Chicago this great city. Um, you know, he's still saying it's not this like wonderful place, you know, other people think it is. So he's kind of giving it an upgrade just so he can be more palatable to certain kind of Republicans. And, and in the same way where he's saying, oh yeah, you know, Joe Biden won the election, but then he keeps saying there was voter fraud. And nobody wants voter fraud in this country. Um, nobody does, like, you know, but to say that there's voter fraud, but not giving any sort of specifics or any examples or any evidence is dangerous in itself. So he's getting his cake and he's eating it too, because this way he's appealing to these groups that might've thought that he was a little too right wing. And now they're just kind of like, well, he's not too bad. He's actually stepping away from this. And and in the same vein, he's still kind of holding on to the beliefs that he had before that can, in that way, he can appeal to, you know, the group of to MAGA. Because I, I feel like he's talking to all Republicans and he's trying to reach all Republicans that he can by kind of softening his stance, but then not softening it at the same time. Yeah, that's the game he's playing. Uh, all right. Uh, before I let you go, any recommendations you have? Yeah, I have uh, too many recommendations. As we, as you said, we're watching. We're you and I are both watching Reservoir Dogs. I, I actually caught up to it, and I was like, "Where's episode 10? Reservation. I, yeah, res- sorry, Reservation Dogs. I did see um, Reservoir Dogs too, but um, by your favorite director. But um, so Reservation Dogs. There's one more episode left. It might have dropped already, but um, I was trying to watch it last week, and it wasn't there. Um, so still, still got to watch that last episode of the second season. I started Ken Burns um, documentary. Uh, it's called U.S. and the Holocaust. And I know it, it might be hard for you to watch, but it's excellent so far. I've only watched like a half an hour worth. And it's just it's so amazing how they how, how he's kind of juxtaposing what happened back then in the United States and what was acceptable in the United States and kind of mirroring, putting a mirror up to the United States and how it is right now. Um, and then I'm also watching the Jeffrey Dahmer uh, series on Netflix. It's by your favorite um, TV director or producer, Ryan Murphy. And Evan Peters, um, who is always a lead in American Horror Stories and in a lot of um, Ryan Murphy productions, he plays Jeffrey Dahmer. And then the fourth recommendation I have, I probably have way too many recommendations, is Rami. I know, we, I know you watched Mo. But um, Rami is, uh, God, why am I forgetting Rami's name? But Rami um, is the show that, in, he, this guy Rami also co-wrote Mo. And the guy Mo Amr is also in Rami. So this is like the third season, I want to say, of Rami. And that's dropping on uh, Hulu this tomorrow today, I think. So I want to watch that. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it depends on... Um, I don't know when I'll be watching all these things because I am watching the, the Holocaust doc, um, documentary with uh, Mick. So Rami might have to wait, but Dahmer I'm watching, but Dahmer I'm watching by myself. So I'm coasting through that. And I was in college when that happened. So I remember like the craziness of what it was. And so it's just interesting watching it because it just, 
you know, it touches upon the things we talked about earlier. Jeffrey Dahmer, most of his victims were people of color. And, I, you know, watching this documentary kind of reminds you of how he was able to get away with it because of his white privilege. It, it's pretty interesting. And I do remember this being talked about at the time as well. Well, I'm, uh, as you said, a huge fan of, well, first of all, Quentin Tarantino, love him to death, but I cannot stand the movie Reservoir Dogs. It's the one. Oh, I love that least... movie. I have to say uh, that was one of the better ones. Yeah. Wow. There we, I mean, that's wow. She <laughs> doesn't like Once Upon a Time in a Hot Way. You know what? But, you no know, but Reservoir Dogs also was a copy of a Japanese movie. So. Oh, yeah. And he, he doesn't hide from that, no, by he the doesn't. way. He, he doesn't too he doesn't. away he, from that. Yeah. He, yeah, he does not. He said he's paying homage and it's like, you know, basically a version of, you know, yeah. a Japanese. So, no, Quentin Tarantino's a genius. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, QT, as we uh, affectionately call him on this show. Uh, and, uh, I am, I do, it's true. love Ryan Murphy. I've seen pretty much every Ryan Murphy show. Uh, but I think I'm going to draw the line at down. I, I don't know. It's, it's a little difficult for me to deal with. Uh, and so I'm just gonna, uh, stay away from, uh, uh, Dahmer. Uh, though, like I said, I love Ryan Murphy. I, I cannot wait for you to watch, um, the morning show. It is the trashiest, dumbest soap opera. It's an insult to my intelligence. It will be an insult to your intelligence when you watch it. And yet I cannot help myself. Ramon, this is a plea for help. I can't, I'm like, let's watch another episode as soon as we can. It's overacting, uh, chewing the scenery by Jennifer Aniston and uh, Reese Witherspoon. And they're all so I think what you, Romana, I would love to get your thoughts on this because you've been in the media world for about 20 years or whatever. And it's like the machinations of people in an office setting and how they're always trying to figure out what the other person wants to hear so they can say it, so they can get ahead. Uh, and the just the intensity of their fights, everything is elevated because... You're just in close quarters with everyone. It really brings home a lot of that and probably underscores why I don't like to work in office settings. And I've always stayed away from them as much as I can, except for that brief moment where I did a show at the bright one at the Sun-Times. Uh, but then again, I wasn't really in the office. You know what I mean? I just no, walked no, you through weren't, the office. you weren't. I, go in, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, now nobody wants to go back to the office. Now everybody's like you, Ben. Even me. I, <laughs> I, I thought I'd never say this, but I'm like, oh. I am going to the, oh, I, sh I should have talked, maybe I'll bring, I'll bring this up next, next time we talk, but I did go to the office last week, this week to our new space at the old post office. And I was, I've been complaining about a bad back because we don't have standalone computers anymore. So you have to bring your laptop and I told Mick, my, my back's going to just like fail. So I ordered myself some luggage to like roll on the train. So yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about me. We'll talk about the, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I, I came to that conclusion. I didn't want to go to offices in the early eighties. You were a you were in junior high, okay? And I came to that conclusion. That's how long I go, you know, I don't want to do this. And I successfully have not done it. Uh well, good for you. Yeah. It was but but you know, going to the bright one when I when we had the studio there, it, again, I enjoyed that. I love that little studio. I miss it. It wasn't like going to the office. You know what I'm saying? I I don't know. Uh Somehow we just went into our, it was like just going to a different room in my house. Only the house was, anyway, I can't wait for you to watch, um, uh, the morning show and just get your thoughts on it. Uh, I'm well into season two and it's a little embarrassed, probably watch an episode tonight.
Uh, all right, very good. Uh, Romana, thank you very much. Uh, stay s- safe and sound, and we'll talk to you real soon, all right? All right, that's Romana saying, oh, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, sitting in for Dr. D, DJ Nate. Hey, DJ Nate, great job as always. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody.